We're starting a new series this morning. It's just a two-week series called Equip and Release. And uh, as you can see, we, have, uh, we had a bunch of youth on band, up on stage today leading us in worship. What, weren't they awesome? And uh, obviously, Jed and Lucas there leading the announcement section, and so that's great. And um, for the sermon portion this morning, uh, we, have, uh, we have some young adults that are going to be bringing the word, and uh, that's Dalen and Sydney. So I'm going to invite Dalen and Sid onto stage. Oh, hey, hey. I, I need that. Oh, you're. I don't see the other one, so. There's one right there. Yeah, no, you got to use the silver one. Check. Oh, there we go. Let's. I don't know. They said they need the the mysterious hand that comes from behind the curtain, um, from the holy of holies. Uh, um, it wasn't the hand of God. It was the hand of Jeff. Just so you know. Um, anyway, so. Uh, the college I went to over a dozen years ago, uh, Bethany College, a couple of years ago, um, closed down. And I was quite heartbroken by that, and not because it was necessarily my college that I went to, but because it's indicative of a larger picture issue happening in the Canadian American Western world uh, church, and that's our Bible colleges are actually uh, declining in numbers, most of them, uh, year by year. Um, some of them are closing, and some of them are just struggling, continuing to struggle on. And, and the reason that I'm heartbroken by this is not because I have these uh, passionate ties to the institution of Bible college, but because I have a passionate tie to the de- development, the equipping, and the releasing of young people into ministry. A hundred or so years ago, the Bible college movement was started by local churches to equip and release their young people into ministry. As this went on and the college scene became more institutionalized, the local churches disconnected from the relationship with Bible college um, as a resource to disciple and equip and release our young people. The problem is that we didn't replace it with anything. Uh, So a couple years ago when the college I went to closed down, uh, I felt the Lord stirring in my heart and my mind this question of what's the response going to be of the church to equip and release the next generation of leaders for the church and for ministry. And uh, the local church initiated the Bible college movement, and now maybe it's a new day where something else needs to be initiated in in place of that. Um, But one thing's for certain is the local church needs a plan and an idea of how we're going to do this. Um, and so a year and a half ago, started thinking through what, what does this mean for SunWest and, um, and, and the larger church on the whole in Canada, the larger conference, the Mennonite Brethren of Churches that we're a part of is having the same discussion. Uh, but I didn't feel like waiting around to figure out what everybody else was going to say. I said, as, as SunWest, we've got to figure out what we're going to do. And so I, I talked to Dalen and Sydney and Nathan who are coming off of, you know, YOMs and different school of ministries, I said, I want to start a ministry school at SunWest. Uh, I have no idea what it's going to look like, uh, but would you guys commit to me for one year? And you're going to commit to me 10 hours a week for the whole year. And, uh, and so they, you know, took a hit at their jobs, 
uh, even schooling and uh, you know, Dalen can attest to the tension even with his workplace of having to take 10 hours out of his work week to actually commit to, uh, to being a part of this. Uh, but they would come on Tuesday morning, 7 a.m., and, and we would work uh, from about 7 a.m. to 11-ish uh, or longer, four to five hours on a Tuesday morning. And we would, you know, read the Bible, we'd pray together, we would uh, really go through what, what might be what one would have at a discipleship school, first year at a Bible college, learning how to read the Bible, um, drawing truth from the, from the Bible, learning about our identity in Christ and um, how, where we come from and our families kind of shape and form us, learning practical ministry skills, leadership skills, uh, you know, understanding of church and um, leadership and all that type of stuff. So we, we did that for the whole year on Tuesday mornings. And then uh, five hours a week, they gave us um, a commitment to be involved in the local ministries of SunWest uh, throughout the year. So it was kind of the practical, the training part on Tuesday mornings, but then the practical experience and ministry part during the week. And so they spent uh, you know, time in worship and arts ministry, uh, junior high and senior high uh, specifically as well, and then a little bit in other places. Uh, but the hope was that this was going to give them some tools and opportunity to continue to grow as leaders. Uh, I would say it was pretty successful. They're here this morning. Um, you can let them know after. Uh, just kidding. But I, I appreciate them for being the guinea pigs, uh, the pilot project for this year, and we look forward to continuing to do this um, in future years, and we're hoping to double the numbers next year, and it's looking good. And so if you're a young adult, um, and it's not just for those that are looking to get into pastoral ministry that could be part of it, um, but we believe that God's called all people into ministry, whether you're a nurse, you're a stay-at-home uh, mom, you're you know, working in retail, uh, you know, Sydney's an administrator, Dalen's doing sales with TELUS, Nathan's been switching jobs all year long, I still don't, can't keep track of what he's doing. Uh, he's fixing windshields right now. Um, but the truth is God's called every one of us to be leaders, to be ministers, and he's placed you right where he's placed you for a very specific purpose. And so what are we going to do to equip and release our young people to take this call seriously? And this is part of our answer to that. So if you're in grade 12, if you're a young adult in the workforce, and you're looking to be equipped and released in a very practical way, uh, I would encourage you to consider uh, the SunWest Ministry School uh, for next year. It's uh, about an eight-month commitment. And like I said, 10 hours a week. And so I've been blessed by these guys and look forward to you know, continuing to build on what we started this year. So I'm going to pray for them. They're going to bring the word this morning, and uh, I'm excited about that. So Father, we thank you for uh, Daylin and Sydney specifically this morning, God, and we just ask um, that you would speak to us through them. Uh, we thank you that your word, yeah, in your word in First Timothy, Paul is charging Timothy, a young leader, and saying, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example. And Lord, we just thank you for uh, young people in our midst that are willing to step up, take a risk, and set an example, and not because they're perfect, but because they're willing. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be soft, uh, that we would uh, be open to what your Spirit is saying, that we would receive what you're saying through them, and we'd be shaped by it, that we would leave different than when we came. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um. Good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Dalen, in case you, you missed uh, that there, that little intro with uh, Matt. Uh, I've been coming to SunWest for 
about uh, 10 years or so, and uh, I got baptized here about eight years ago. Um, my father, uh, Kelvin, pastored here for about six years. He now uh, runs a counseling business, uh, helping to build stronger marriages and uh, help people become healthy, whole people. I did a uh, ministry school down in uh, California, Redding, California, uh, called Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry last year. Um, that was fantastic. And then uh, obviously this last year as well, I was part of the, the pilot project uh, with Matt and Nate and, and Sydney. I um, also uh, happened to be engaged to the most beautiful woman in the world, Crystal Anderton. She's over there. Um, we're getting married in two months and one day which is really exciting. I'm extremely lucky for that one. Um, this, uh, this last year, this internship has, has really kind of challenged, we call it an internship, uh, uh, challenged my, uh, my ideas on what it looks like to be a Christ follower, um, to be Christ-like, uh, what discipleship really looks like, um, you know, how, to, how to do that and how to be a part of that. And my, some of my ideas on church and God and, and God's beautiful bride, the church. So uh, today, Sydney and I, we're going to share kind of two stories. Uh, mine's going to be about a guy from the Old Testament, and hers is going to be about a girl from the New Testament. Uh, sound good? Awesome, for sure. Um, both of our, of our stories, they, they kind of uh, had encounters, uh, encounters with different kings. Um, I'm going to start off telling you a little bit of a story uh, from when I was down at Bethel uh, School. I, I took a class on worldviews while I was there. So kind of the, there's the four major religions, and all of them kind of tie into different Eastern, Western worldviews and things like that. Um, one of the people in my class, uh, my worldviews class, was from Tibet. And so I don't know if you guys know anybody from Tibet, but uh, this particular man, I don't know anyone else from Tibet, uh, was five feet tall. Um, kind of look, look almost Filipino looking, and he was just the smiliest person you've ever seen. Um, this is five feet tall to me. It might be a little bit higher than that. Uh, and his name was uh, Tsiwang Nagawang, I think. Uh, it, that was his first name, at least. He had a last name, too, but it didn't fit all the way on his name tag. Um, let, let's call him Tom, though. How about uh, Tom and his family came to America uh, a few years before I met him to, uh, as, a, as a refugees, escaping the, the political uh, unrest that was in uh, Tibet at the time. Um, but on, on top of that, uh, Tom used to be a Buddhist. Um, so I'm going to talk a little bit about Buddhism. I, I don't know much about Buddhism, um, but I did learn a little bit in this class. And from, from what I understand, um, Buddhism is non-theistic. So there's no, uh, no creator God, uh, nobody that you pray to necessarily, um, but rather in Buddhism, um, everything is cyclical. It's, it's all a cycle, right? So nothing's created from nothing. It's, it's, there was something and it became something else. Um, spend just a little bit more time on the, on the Buddhism here. Uh, you guys probably know Buddha as that big chubby guy with the belly that you see at the Chinese food places with the, yeah, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, his name wasn't actually Buddha. Uh, he had a, a really weird name uh, that I also can't pronounce. And uh, uh, he was meditating, learning to become one. Uh, they, they have the issue with suffering in Buddhism and how they have addressed that is uh, to deny oneself, deny one's passions and, and, and desires. And so he was meditating, this guy, and he awoke from his meditation for a long time and he said, I am Buddha. I am enlightened, I'm awakened, I know the answer, um, which is uh, to, to deny one's complete um, kind of uh, self. That was to be enlightened. So um, 
further, further to that, uh, my friend from Tibet, you know, part of being holy was if you were born into a class, say uh, a rice farmer, um, you were to be a rice farmer for the rest of your life. And then when you died, if you lived a, a good holy life, um, maybe in the next life you could be a political, a rich political person. Right? So as long as you lived a good life, in the next life, your, your life might be better. Uh, however, of course, if you lived a bad life, you were prideful, maybe too ambitious. Um, in your next life, you might be a squirrel um, or, or a worm or worse than that, maybe a, a cat. <laughs> the, uh, the life that you live now is a result of your past life. Uh, is the belief of Buddhism. So your circumstances around you, your, your life today is not even, it's not even in your control or, or how you've lived, but just some, some unforeseen kind of force from your previous life. Well, okay, so Tom, my buddy, five foot tall buddy from the Bethel uh, school there, uh, he spent most of his life kind of lower middle class, um, harsh labor kind of work. And uh, the, the only way for him to change from that class within his lifetime without being prideful would be to become a monk. Because if you became a Buddhist monk, well, there's nothing more humble than becoming a monk. You know, you're, you're learning to deny oneself anyways. Uh, so he went up to the, uh, uh, the Buddhist monasteries there in Tibet um, to, to seek out oneness, uh, to deny himself, to become enlightened, and accidentally stumbled upon some YWAMers. I don't know if you guys know any YWAMers. YWAM stands for Youth with a Mission. So they're young adults that go on missions around the world, um, crazy places like Tibetan monasteries, and, uh, and share the gospel, and they share the love of Jesus. And so when uh, Tom stumbled upon these YWAMers, uh, searching for oneness, um, he, he, found, he found Jesus. Um, uh, he, he talked very, very clearly about this, this, this encounter he had with these YWAMers as his first encounter with, with the love of God. He said that these YWAMers came up to him and they, they said, hey, we're, just, we're Christians and, and uh, like, uh, we want to pray for you. And so he was like, oh, okay, and, you know, he's open to it, he's open to it. And they said some things that, that I'll never forget. He said, you know, there's a God that created the whole world, which was out of his paradigm, created the whole universe, and... He loves you. Yeah. In fact, he loves you so much, he's got a plan for your life. And there are plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to, to give you a hope and a future. And for Tom in that moment, that, that, that shocked him. That, that shook him to the core. That there was a God, a creator, and that he, he had a plan for his life, full of hope. And further in that conversation with these YWAMers, they said, you know, you have a destiny. You have a great destiny. Greater things than what you're doing right now. It was like the, the voice of the Lord spoke through these YWAMers at that time. There was a hope beyond his circumstances. Uh, and as the political unrest followed his country and things got out of hand, um, he made it to California. And he was in a ministry school in California. Um, actually, as one of the students, he was teaching a class on worldviews. Kind, of kind of a neat story there. I, I don't know how many of you guys were raised uh, in a Buddhist environment. Uh, I, know, I know for myself, I wasn't. But I think sometimes, even as Christians, we can operate as a functional Buddhist. That there's this belief that, you know, if we live a, a good, humble life now, we're not too ambitious, that in, in the next life things will be better. 
you know, our circumstances are out of our control that we're living in right now. Um, th- things are rough, you know, or maybe we're lower class, something like that. But, you know, when we go to heaven, it'll be better. Operating as a, as a functional Buddhist. When Matt said that uh, we were going to get the chance to speak uh, to see if we'd be good enough to be pastors or not, <laughs> I, uh, I was thinking to myself, okay, you know, what's a, what's a nice, easy Old Testament Bible story I could speak on? You know, maybe like Noah or like Moses or uh, Joseph in the Technicolor Dreamcoat um, or, uh, yeah, one of those. And then I thought, hey, Mephibosheth. Yeah, why, why don't I speak on Mephibosheth? I'm sure Matt's, Matt's told you guys about Mephibosheth, right? Nice, easy story, right? Matt, you, you haven't told them about Mephibosheth? Don't worry about it. I'll, I'll tell them. So, uh, a couple of weeks ago, Matt, uh, Matt talked about uh, King David, um, specifically the king that was before King David uh, over Israel, which was King Saul. And this, uh, what I'm about to talk about, it's in uh, 2 Samuel verse 9. And if you want to take a look at it later, but I'll just do a summary for you guys. So, uh, David and Jonathan, pardon me, let's, let's start with King Saul. King Saul was the king of Israel, and he had a son named Jonathan. And if you remember from, from Matt's talk a couple weeks ago, Jonathan and David were best of friends. Uh, they, they made up some cool code languages and they shot some arrows into a field. You guys remember this a little bit? They actually derobed themselves together because they were such close, close brothers. Now, uh, King, uh, King Saul and his son Jonathan uh, ended up dying later on in battle against the Philistines. And uh, David, Jonathan's friend, uh, later became king. Uh, but at the time that uh, Jonathan and his father Saul died in battle, um, Jonathan had a son, a very, very young son, uh, whose name was uh, Mephibosheth. Now, um, when, when he was uh, fleeing kind of this, this turmoil at the time that his father was killed in battle, uh, Mephibosheth was with his nurse. And we don't know all the details, but I kind of imagine uh, they were running because it says they tripped and fell. And I was imagining she, she was holding Mephibosheth, this young, young child, and fell and landed uh, wrong and broke both of Mephibosheth's legs. And so he was paralyzed from a very, very young age. Um, he was paralyzed. Um, so, you know, uh, back in that time, there wasn't a lot, a lot of opportunity for a, a paralyzed person to, to be a computer programmer. Um, most of the work there was, was, was labor for men at that time. Um, you know, the, the wheelchairs were pretty poor quality. They were actually just um, mats most of the time. Didn't roll, didn't roll very well at all, um, from what I understand. Uh, you know... Uh, it's safe to assume that because of his circumstances, Mephibosheth was, was probably a beggar, right? He lived a pretty low life. His father was no longer king. He was probably cast out of the kingdom. It says he lived in a house outside of the kingdom. Um, I, can, I can kind of identify with Mephibosheth uh, sometimes. Uh, there's a feeling that my, my circumstances, whether that be, you know, the, the sin in the world, uh, the world I was born into, uh, maybe mistakes I made as a child or, or choices that were made for me, uh, Whatever it is has left me broken. Do you ever feel that you're left broken? Um, in fact, sometimes I feel even paralyzed. You know, like my world's not in my control. I was born into my situation. I'm in my situation. And there's, there's no hope maybe to, to really get to that, that next class, that next place, that next dream, that thing I'd want to, to be to. The, the story of Mephibosheth doesn't end there luckily for us. Uh, as we know, uh, David became king. 
And uh, David loved Jonathan very, very dearly, uh, who had passed away, right? And he said to his servants one day, you know, is, is there any descendants of Jonathan left? Are there any of Jonathan's kids that are left so that I can, I can bless them for Jonathan's sake? Uh, show kindness, actually, is the words he used. Show kindness to him for Jonathan's sake. And uh, his servant said, well, there is but one. Uh, he is paralyzed, and his name is Mephibosheth. So David said, oh, go bring him to me. And, and they bring him in, and Mephibosheth falls down at his feet. And uh, David says to, to Mephibosheth, uh, you will eat at my table for the rest of your days. You will eat at the king's table. And you will receive an inheritance from your father. And he gave him some land and some riches. Uh, and he actually called his father king, even though, even though uh, Jonathan was never a king. Mephibosheth probably didn't see a lot of value in himself at that time. He, he was cast out. He was disqualified from the kingdom in, in all matters of, of speaking. His, you know, his father died as king. A new, a new person unrelated became king. But he said, come and sit at the table with me. Sometimes I don't feel like I'm worthy to, to sit at the table with a king. If I can extend that metaphor to, to Jesus and Father God, sometimes I don't feel worthy to, to sit there with him because of my brokenness. There's a, a great evangelist um, from Africa. He, he, he did a lot of crusades in Africa preaching the gospel uh, named Reinhard Bonnke. Uh, Reinhard Bonnke uh, once said, great name, the difference between Christianity and all other religions is that in all other religions, you, you have to spread the table for your God. You have to lay down uh, enough sacrifices, you know, enough traditions, pray the right prayers so that you can enter the kingdom. Whereas with Christianity, he spread the table for us. He, he laid it all down for us. When sin separated us from the Father, you know, he said, over my dead body will I be separated from my children. And he laid it all down for us so that we could sit and eat with our Father. We aren't disqualified from the kingdom based on our actions. In fact, I'll, I'll put a verse up on the, on the screen real quick. Titus 3, 4 to 6. I'm probably going to read 4 to 8. Uh, but when the kindness... And the love of our God, our Savior, appeared. He saved us not because of righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. In our ability to, to perform, uh, to, be, to be good enough, to be Christian enough. Uh, that's not what gets us into the kingdom. Uh, but it's his mercy and his grace. He's invited us into relationship with him. Uh, Christ invites us into his kingdom to do fellowship with him. If, if this morning you're feeling maybe, maybe like Mephibosheth, paralyzed, uh, like you're, you're, you're cast out of the kingdom, your situation has removed you from the kingdom, uh, he's, in, he's inviting you, the Father in heaven is inviting you to come sit at his table and feast on his goodness. Taste and see, it says in the Psalms, taste and see that he is good because he loves you. He has a plan for your life. Maybe you're like uh, Tom, Tsi Wang, Tsi Wang Nagawang, and, and you need the destiny to be called out of you 
to have someone tell you this morning, have God uh, tell you this morning that you're worthy and that he loves you. He created you. He has a plan for your life, plans to prosper you, to give you a hope and a future. Or maybe this morning uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a Tom in your life, t- Tom next door that, that uh, needs to have that called out of him, needs to have some uh, maybe older people with a mission come over and say, hey, do you, uh, you want to come over for dinner? Come in and sit, sit at the table with us. We'd like to do some fellowship with you. And you don't have to tell him, but maybe invite, invite the king to come sit at the table with you guys too. Um, yeah, you're worthy. God says that you're made in his image. He says that he loves you. He says that you're beautiful. And regardless of your circumstances and your brokenness, he's inviting you to come and sit at the table with him and do fellowship with him. Feast on his goodness. Hello, everyone. I just have to set my timer one second. <laughs> How you doing? <laughs> okay, so Dalen spoke on a man in the Old Testament. I'm going to speak on a woman in the New Testament. Um, she was referred to as the Samaritan woman. Um, so it's the woman by the well in John 4, if you want to follow along in your bulletins or in your Bibles. So I'm going to get right to it. Um, so Jesus went, um, he was on a journey with his disciples. So he um, decided to go through Samaria. Um, back in the time, Samaritans and Jews, um, they did not get along just because of cultural differences and what was going on at the time. But if you look at a map geographically, Jesus could have went through many different towns other than Samaria, but he decided to go through Samaria. Um, so his disciples left him and they went into town, so he decided to go up to a water well where he met a Samaritan woman sitting there drawing water. Um, so I'm going to read something that's not going to be on the screen, but um, Jesus asked her for a drink, and the woman said, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? So I find this shocking because the woman was absolutely stunned that a man um, would come up to her, him being a man for one, and him being a Jew. She had no idea that he was Jesus, that he, she, that he would come up to her and ask her for a drink out of all people. Um, and then Jesus answered her and said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Um, so in this passage, it refers to living water as being eternal life. Um, and then Dalen touched a bit on Buddhism and how... Um, being a Buddhist, um, we deny, they deny their life in a sense. They deny that they are made for so much greater things than what they were put on earth to do. And us being Christians and followers of Jesus, we are called to such a bigger life. Um, we have eternal life with Jesus. So the moment you accept him into your heart, you have eternal life forever here on earth. So that doesn't start when you get to heaven. It starts right now, which is super awesome and super powerful in my opinion. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so there's going to be a couple verses come up on the screen. Um, so Jesus answered, she's, he's talking to the woman still, um, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And then he, Jesus, told the woman to go call on her husband. 
Um, and then she said that she has no husband. Um, and I find this quite shocking in the fact that him being Jesus, Jesus knows everything. He knows what you do. He knows the sin that you're living in. He knows all of it. He humbled himself and he asked her to go call on her husband, even though he knew that she didn't have one. Um, she was a prostitute. She had five husbands. She had five men she was living with. Um, I don't know if she was living with them all or not, but it says five husbands in the Bible. <laughs> Um, so I find this shocking, and I ask the question, why did Jesus expose her to her sin? Why did Jesus um, go to the woman, and why did he expose her to the sin that she was living? Um, me saying that doesn't mean that he made her feel shame, but because of the fact that she was living in sin, she felt shameful for what she's done, um, because she realized she was in the presence of somebody bigger than a man, somebody much greater than just a man. Um, so, Dalen was speaking on YWAMers. I'm also a YWAMer. <laughs> so, last year, I went to South Africa for three months. Um, and we did lots of, uh, like, outreach work in universities and high schools, and we touched a lot of um, people's hearts. And the demographic there, a lot of them are Catholic, so they don't totally understand, like, that Jesus speaks to us and he has a plan for your life and you don't, you're not called to just living this life, just living this one, this thing that you feel like you're called to and you have a huge calling. And in my life, it's something that I've had to realize that I have such a bigger calling than I myself can ever understand. That the calling I step into is God's calling, it's not my calling. And it's uncomfortable, it's not easy. Like me being up here, I never, I would always told myself I would never public speak. And that public speaking was my worst fear. And I'm up here now, so obviously, <laughs> Jesus has called me to something great and I need to declare that. And I know that just a reminder that we need to declare those things out loud. Declare that Jesus is good and that he has a plan for your life. You might not know what that is now, but you're gonna walk into that and I'm excited. Um, so we went to this, we volunteered at this youth group and I met this girl in specific. Um, yeah, we were just there to speak life into them and just help out and volunteer where we could. And I went up to this girl, we had this prayer time where people were doing worship and um, we were going around and praying for people. And God gave me words that he wanted me to speak over her. He wanted me to tell her that she was beautiful. Um, so I went up to her, I grabbed her hands, and I started declaring these promises over her. I declared that she was beautiful, and she was worthy, and she was worth something, and that um, God saw her so much greater than she saw herself, and she started weeping. Um, she broke down in tears, and it was shocking for me, because I have no idea why these three words, you are beautiful, evoked such a huge response from her. Why did she break down in tears? Why did she... Um, in a sense, fall at Jesus' feet? Why did she receive what I said so abruptly? Um, and then it got me thinking that there's this gap between the way we see ourselves and the way God sees us. Um, we see ourselves not the way God sees us because we're human. Um, God is God and he sees us the way that he created us to be. And we're created for greatness. Um, we are created to be his ambassadors and to be great people because of him and because he dwells within us. Um, and this gap, if you're living in the sin, if you're living in the fact, oh, I'm not beautiful, I'm not worthy, I'm not good at this, I'm not good at that, then there's this huge gap between you and God because of that sin, because of the way you see, you see yourself. And once you come face to face with that sin and that shame that you feel, then that gap shortens, it becomes smaller and you become closer to God. 
And the only reason why I was able to impart that stuff onto that girl in South Africa was because I have come in contact with that same gap because I still live with that gap. There's certain things in my life where I need to drop at Jesus' feet. And just because, yeah, I understand that gap now. I have a better understanding of the fact that, oh, I don't feel close to God, and that's because of that gap between me and him and because I'm not letting him fill that gap. Um, So in my life, I would get a lot of affirmation from other people. Um, The only way I would feel worthy is because somebody came up to me and told me I was worthy. Somebody told me I was beautiful and that I had a purpose and a calling and that I did a good job at something. And that gives me satisfaction in that moment, right? It gives you satisfaction in like the moment they tell you, but then afterwards you're like, oh, I need more satisfaction. Who's going to come and tell me that next? But the thing is, is that God is the only one who can satisfy you in that way. And that's something I still struggle with and um, something I'm always going to have to work on because we're human. Um, We, yeah, we are sinful. That's, it's, I'm not saying that that's what you have to live in, but um, yeah, we are human. But God has so much grace. There's grace beyond grace for us. Um, He has called us to greatness. He has called us to something so much bigger than what we are. Yeah, yeah. So because of the gap, I feel like there's a time where we can, like just because you're living in sin doesn't mean you need to live in that sin. Um, If you are struggling with one sin, that doesn't mean you need to live in that forever because that's not who you are. That's not who you are. You were called for greatness. We're called to be um, daughters and sons of God. So the woman, back to the woman at the well, she went back to her town after she um, had an encounter with Jesus. She went back to her town And she told everybody the testimony that she has heard from this man that she met at the well, this testimony of Jesus. And so many people came to Jesus because of her testimony. So I think that speaks volumes in the fact that through our testimony, through our encounter with Jesus, we can go to somebody else and they will encounter Jesus. They can encounter Jesus because of your testimony. So we have all these pastors coming up here. We have um, people declaring the word, people anointed to speak in front of thousands of people. And I'm not saying that we're all called to that. Um, that like, if you're called to that, then that's awesome. And that is a huge anointing over your life. But um, yeah, Jesus calls us to greatness even if we're called up here or not. Jesus calls us to greatness even if we are contacting with one other person. Um, Through our testimonies, testimonies are so powerful. Um, They have the power to change somebody's life. They have the power to change somebody's mindsets, the way they view themselves, the way they view other people. Testimonies are so huge and so important. So if you don't know what you're called to, then just start with, okay, God, I want to know who you are. Speak to me. Tell me who I am. Um, And when I did that, he, he spoke to me. Without a doubt, he spoke to me. He told me that I was worthy, I was beautiful, I am a um, chosen daughter of God, and that is for every single one of you. None of you are disqualified from that calling. None of you are less than you think you are, because God thinks that you're absolutely great, and that you are called to something so much larger than you would ever understand. Um, So just a little bit of an analogy. Um, So imagine I have a bucket right here. So Jesus fills this bucket up with his love. He fills it with um, the calling that he has on your life. He just, once you become closer to him and you reduce that gap, then that bucket gets bigger. Um, It gets filled with God's promises and what he has for you. 
and how I was able to speak that over that girl in South Africa, that was because I was in the word all the time because my trip to South Africa was really hard and I didn't have anyone to lean on. And the only person I had to lean on was God. So I was in the word constantly. That's what got me through that trip. And it, it wasn't easy. Um, it was awesome and such a good learning experience, but it was really hard. So when you get closer to God, your bucket becomes bigger and it's filled higher and higher. And then in that moment, I was able to take my bucket and pour it out on that girl. And she was able to receive the promises that I have received from Jesus because of those experiences. And then God, how Dalen was talking about us being invited to his table. Um, we are invited to his table. Um, we are valued and worthy sons of daughters of God, and we are invited to set it, sit at his table, and none of you are disqualified from that. Every single one of you, no matter what sin you're living in, no matter what you have experienced, every single one of you is called to that table. God doesn't look at those sins. He looks past your sins, and he loves you regardless of what you've done. So you are invited to that table, and you're able to bring your bucket with you, whether it's full or empty. You're able to bring that with you, and God will fill that up again. He will fill that up so it's overflowing with his love and his grace. And that might be hard to believe. There could be some of you here who are, who are like, oh, I've done, I've done this and I don't feel like I'm worthy, but God doesn't care about that. Um, your neighbor might hear about it and they might be like, oh, well, you're not, you're not a good son or daughter of God, but that doesn't matter because what man thinks of you isn't um, something that disqualifies you from his kingdom. What Jesus thinks of you is all that matters. So once you become somebody who is confident in that, then it's going to be so much easier to walk into the calling that God has given you, walk into the calling that you've received. Um, yeah, so whether you are distant from him, out of your own control, like Mephibosheth, like, did I say that right? <laughs> so whether you, are, you feel disqualified out of your own control, like him, because of how he was paralyzed and how he didn't feel worthy, um, or because you feel distant from him out of your own choices, like the Samaritan woman, she was a prostitute. It was her own choice to live the life she was living. So whether you feel like it was your own choice or it wasn't your choice, you are still welcome to come to the table. Um, he is welcoming you with his open arms, and he loves you regardless of anything that you have done. So that's all I have for you. But you guys are all worthy and beautiful and super valuable sons and daughters and being in a relationship with Jesus is the best thing that I've ever done. It is so exciting. I feel like I learn something new every day. I get into a new um, step of freedom and then I feel like I get into another one and another one but every single time I do it's a bigger learning experience. It's a more challenging experience but it's so so worth it and it's so much fun. Yeah so I'm gonna pray over you guys if you don't mind. Okay, Father, I thank you so much for this time. I thank you that we were able to come together today. And I just pray that um, your sons and daughters will just realize that they are valued, they are worthy, they are beautiful, they are handsome, and that they have a purpose and a calling over their life. So, Father, I just declare these things over these people today. I pray that they go away from this sermon today, God, whether they took anything out of it or not, that they would just feel like encouraged to go out and to proclaim to proclaim your name and to share their testimonies with people because that is so powerful and so important so father bless these people um bless this church father thank you for this time in jesus name amen, amen. <clears throat> thank you. I'll trade you your water bottle for your mic. <laughs>
Wow. Um, thank you. I, th I think I'm out of a job. Well, well done, you guys. Well done. Um, the band's going to come on stage, and we're going to move into communion. Um, in John 4, the, the chapter that Sid was referring to, uh, Jesus says, you drink this water, you're going to have eternal life. And, and as she mentioned, that eternal life isn't something that starts someday, uh, but it starts here now, today. It's this, it, it is a quantitative life. It is eternal in the sense that we think of it. But it's also a qualitative life in that uh, Jesus wants us to uh, experience his transformation today. He invites us to his table today. Uh, since Jesus left, uh, physically left earth, uh, for the last 2,000 years, the church was given two primary practices uh, to carry on. It was baptism and communion. And we talk about the king's table. It's really the communion table. You know, David in the Old Testament was a, he was a Christ-type, theologians would say, which means that he was a foreshadow of the Messiah, which was to come, which was Jesus. And David invites Mephibosheth to come sit at the table. Uh, Jesus invites a Samaritan woman into relationship, which the, the table is a symbol of relationship. And so whether you identify with Mephibosheth as somebody that something has happened to you that was out of your control that you feel like has not allowed you to sit at the king's table, or as a Samaritan, because of the choices you've made in your life, you feel disqualified to sit at the king's table, Jesus qualifies us. Not because we're worthy, because he's worthy. And the communion table, when we come down and we eat with him, we realize that what is spread out for us is Jesus' own body, his own blood. That there's this gap between us and God of how he sees us and how we see ourselves, but, but Jesus fills that gap with himself. He takes away all of our excuses. So this morning, you don't have any excuses to come uh, unless you don't want to, which is, which is, your, which is your right. But for, for any person, there's enough grace for you and for me. God's grace is sufficient. His body broken, his blood spilled for you and me is sufficient. Yeah, but, but, but. And it's like, no, there's no buts. The, the king's table is open to you. Um, and so if you're in a place this morning where uh, recognizing that this, this table is about relationship, it's about kingship, it's about recognizing Jesus is the king, and when I come to realize that, I enter in relationship with him because he is worthy, because his grace is enough. You know, we eat... Uh, well, it's a cracker, but Jesus is the bread, uh, wine, juice. We have the cracker and the, and the juice this morning as symbols of his body broken, his blood spilt, uh, because it's only through that that we actually enter into relationship with him. Um, so I'm going to invite the, those serving communion to come forward this morning, and we're going to serve the elements during, uh, during the song. And I would invite you just to remain seated until you receive the elements. Um, and then in your own time, when, you're, when you feel ready, feel free to, uh, to partake of the cracker, which represents his bread, body, uh, his body broken for you, and, uh, and the juice as well, which represents his blood spilt for you. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you that uh, 
We thank you that you see us differently than we see ourselves, that when we're crippled, you see us whole. When we're, um, when we're hurting because of choices we've made, because of sin in our lives, that, that doesn't stop you from coming and sitting with us and talking to us and inviting us into relationship with you. And so, God, this morning we just lay our excuses down and we thank you for your body which was broken. We thank you for your blood that was spilt. And we receive this in thanksgiving. And, and, and you said, whenever you take this, this bread and this wine, do this in remembrance of me. And so we say thank you and remember what you did on the cross, but we also take it in remembrance that we're anticipating the future that you've done so much, but you're not done yet. And so, Lord, we, we thank you that you are the King of kings and Lord of lords and that you're in the process of making all things new. And we sit in between and we say thank you for what's already been done, but we also thank you for what's yet to be done. And we thank you for the invitation to join you in relationship in that process. We thank you for your body. We thank you for your blood. And we thank you that we get to be sons and daughters of God because of what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. Just before I close quick, just want to... Uh, Kayla has been uh, meeting with our youth kids this whole year, um, training them in worship and leadership. And, um, and so we got a little taste of it this morning. And future looks bright. So thank you, Kayla, for leading and pouring into our young people that way. Um, but keep playing. Keep playing. That, that was good. Yeah, thank you. Um, so, SunWest, may you come to realize that nothing has happened to you that has happened to you will ever disqualify you from sitting at the king's table that there's nothing about your past, your education, your financial situation, abuses that you've experienced, none of, nothing that has ever happened to you will disqualify you from sitting at the king's table. There is nothing that you've ever chosen, no choice you've ever made that is big enough to stop the king from loving you, to stop your father from loving you. And that he invites us as his creation, as his sons and daughters, to commune with him, to sit with him, to receive the grace and love we need, not just to remain the way that we are, but to be transformed more into his likeness. And that when you sit at the king's table, you actually become ambassadors for the king. You become his ambassadors, you become his voice, you become his hands, you become his feet. No grace we ever received is, is ever just for us, it's always for us to give away always for us to give away and this morning if uh, if you've never taken that step if you've never actually acknowledged that God's grace is sufficient for you I'm going to pray in a moment I invite you to pray with me and just to sit down at the table with Jesus and to begin this relationship with your king uh, but maybe if you feel like you've been communing with the king for a while and it's to take that role of ambassador seriously just like the woman at the well that took what Jesus said, how he transformed her, and then to tell other people and to invite them to the table as well. 
And after I pray, if, you, if you'd like to receive prayer for anything going on, uh, might be completely unrelated to what's happened this morning. We always have prayer teams available to my right and also in the foyer uh, directly outside of the doors. So we encourage you to take advantage of that. Father, uh, we thank you that your grace is enough. Lord, we, th Lord, we thank you for the people in this room this morning that have never uh, actually articulated that, verbalized that, or moved their heart towards you in that way before. And, uh, and we just take this opportunity right now for them to do that, for them to come before you and to say thank you. And if you're in that place, I, I would just invite you to pray in your hearts with me. Uh, thank you, Jesus, uh, for what you've done on the cross. We thank you that what you've done was enough. We thank you that there's nothing that I've ever chosen or nothing that's happened to me that can stop you from loving me. And so we receive that love. I receive that grace today, and I choose to sit at your table. I choose for you to be my king and my lord. Lord, I pray that for us who are sitting with you, Lord, that we would be so overwhelmed with your grace and your love that we would be overflowing like Sydney talked about, Lord, that we would just pour it out on other people. Lord, that we would be, that would be your vessels, we would be your conduits for blessing and encouragement and that we, uh, that we might experience the joy of what it means to partner with you as we bring that hope and encouragement to the world around us. We thank you for all these things, Lord. I thank you for the young people that you're raising up. Um, and Lord, I thank you for the old people that you're raising up. Uh, thank you that you're calling every single one of us uh, to partner with you in an even greater way. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for coming. Um, yeah, great morning.